The Israelites had taken, verse 20, chapter 21, had taken the oath at Mizpah, saying, No one of us will allow his daughter to marry a Benjamite. So the people came to Bethel and sat there before God until evening, weeping loudly and uncomfortably. They said, O oh, Yahweh, God of Israel, why has this happened to Israel? An entire tribe has disappeared from Israel today. So they're crying to God, How could you allow this to happen, God? Why has this happened to us? We just can't figure it out. Maybe because you got carried away and you killed them all. So now they're freaked out. Now you're like, well, wait a minute. A tribe hasn't completely disappeared, right? Because there's still 600 men. Oh, but remember they took that oath that they swore that none of them would ever give one of their daughters to Benjamite marriage, which means that there's only 600 men left and no Israelite woman is allowed to marry them. They're extinct. Dumb vow reminds you of Jephthah. So they make a rash vow without even thinking about it. And they're like, we swear. Not one of us will give us a daughter. Now, I can understand I'm not going to marry a Gibeonite. But they swear the entire tribe of Benjamin away from their daughters. Now they're left with 600 men, a tribe that's going to go extinct, a tribe that God promised to bless forever. This tribe cannot go extinct because this is the blessings of God. There's only 600 men left. No Israelite woman is allowed to marry them, which means they're extinct and they can't figure out why. Now, what should they do? Go to Yahweh, pray to Him, and ask for help. And you would think after the last incident, they've learned that lesson. Hey, when we didn't go to Yahweh twice over the right question, we got kind of in trouble. And we finally figured out we should repent and get rid of our idols. And yeah, we got a little carried away, but let's go to God. Because it's only been like a couple of days since we've learned that lesson. But they don't. So they say this, the next morning the people got up early and built an altar there. They offered up burnt sacrifices and took in peace. They're like, okay, they're, they're starting off well. Israel asked, asked from the Israelite tribes who's not assembled before Yahweh. And they have made a solemn oath that whoever did not assemble before Yahweh at Mizpah must be certainly be executed. So now there's another dumb oath being made. Oh, by the way, the same day before they went off the battle, not only did they swear none of their daughters will be given marriage to Benjamite, but they also said, whoever doesn't show up to help us kill the Benjamites and exterminate them, we're going to exterminate them too. That's a dumb vow, but that's not uncommon in the ancient world. So they take a lot, and they find out that they said today we'll cut off, certainly execute. The Israelites regretted what they had happened to their brother Benjamin. They said, today we'll cut off an entire tribe from Israel. How can we find wives for those who are left? After all, we took an oath to Yahweh's name not to give them out of our daughter's wives. Now they're using the name Yahweh. So they asked, Who from all the Israelite tribes did not assemble before Yahweh at Mizpah? Now it just happened that one from Jabesh Gilead had not come to gathering. Jabesh Gilead is on the eastern side of the Jordan River. It's a town. They didn't show up. So that means according to their oath, they had to go to this innocent town that didn't show up. They're not asking why. Maybe they didn't hear about the battle. Maybe they thought, hey, this is jacked up and immoral. We, they didn't go to God. We don't have any idea why they, but they don't ask that question. They just say, look, a town didn't show up. Let's go exterminate them all. So the assembly sent 12,000 capable warriors against Jabesh Gilead. That's a lot for one city. This is overkill. They commanded them, go and kill with your swords the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead, including the women and the little children. Do this. Exterminate every male as well as every woman in, in has, who has had sexual relations with a male, but spare the lives of the virgins 
So they did as instructed. They found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young girls who were virgins. They had never had sexual relations with a male, and they brought them back to the camp at Shiloh, to the land of Canaan. So they were like, oh, I got a great idea. Since we're going to wipe out this entire village of people because they didn't show up because that's our stupid role, we're going to just massacre them all, all their women, all their children, all their animals. And, but if there's any women that have never been married before, we'll keep them and give them off to the Benjamite men because they didn't make that oath that they would never give Benjamite men to marriage to their daughters. So they found 400 women and they basically, they came into this town, they exterminated the entire family, including their little sisters and little brothers, the entire village of people, kidnapped these women and they're going to force them into marriage to these Benjamite men. That's jacked up and evil. And the whole nation is approving of this. But they still have a problem. There's still 200 Benjamite men without wives. The entire assembly sent messengers to the Benjamin at the cliff of Ramon and assured them that they would not be harmed. The Benjamite, <laughs> I wonder why they had to assure them that. The Benjamites returned at that time, and the Israelites gave to them the women that they had spared from Jabesh Gilead, but there were not enough to go around. I can't imagine being that woman being handed over like that. I mean, arranged marriages is one thing, but this is not the way you do arranged marriages. The people regretted what had happened to Benjamin because Yahweh had weakened the Israelite tribes. The leaders of the assembly said, how can we find wives for those who left? I don't know, maybe go to God. After all, the Benjamite women have been wiped out and the remnant of Benjamin must be preserved. An entire Israelite tribe should not be wiped out. They're wiped out because of you. They're completely missing the obvious. But we can't allow our daughters to marry them, for the Israelites took an oath saying, whoever gives a woman to a Benjamite will be destroyed. Now notice how the author keeps mentioning that oath, probably trying to point out how stupid this is. However, there is an annual festival to Yahweh in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, Bethel, east of the main roads that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Laban. So they commanded the Benjamites, go hide in the vineyards and keep your eyes open. When you see the daughters of Shiloh coming out to dance and celebration, jump out from the vineyards. Each one of you catch yourself a wife from among the daughters of Shiloh and then go home to the land of Benjamin. So, Daddy, how did you meet Mommy? <laughs> we see there was this one night that I was hiding in the bushes and she was celebrating the marriages of all of her older cities, brothers, sisters, and I jumped out and grabbed her and took her by force. Oh, Let's just not talk about that story anymore. <laughs> That's messed up. So they're hiding in the bushes. Shiloh is where the tabernacle is. So we're coming back to the priest again. So Shiloh, every, the marriages usually happen in the spring. So every spring in Shiloh, all the women come out and have like a bachelorette party. And they come out and they dance and they celebrate because some of the women at marriageable age are going to be married off that year. And the other women who are not marriageable age, they, they're celebrating that. And it's a big celebration that this is the year that I'm going to get married. This is the year that my sister is going to get married. And because it's so the celebration about what marriage should be, that's the irony, just happens to be the night that they're going to send the Benjamites to kidnap 200 of them by force. What is going to be a celebration at the beginning of their life is actually going to be one of the darkest moments of their life. That's the irony. You're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. Didn't they make an oath that they would not give any of their daughters to any Benjamite in marriage? 
Shiloh is a part of the people that made the oath. The only people that didn't make that oath was Jabesh Gilead, and they're all dead now. And their daughters have already been dealt off with. Here's the stupidity of the logic. When their fathers or brothers come out and protest to us, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We said we would never do this. Give our daughters. I love how they're, they're assuming the fathers are going to protest the I can't give my daughter to a Benjamite, not that why are you kidnapping her? And that's exactly what the fathers are going to protest. They protest the giving their daughter to a Benjamite in marriage, not the kidnapping. When their fathers or brothers come out and protest us, we'll say to them, do us a favor and let them be. For we could not get each one a wife through the battle. Don't worry about breaking your oath. You would not be guilty if you had voluntarily given them wives. Basically, what they're saying is, don't worry, you're not violating your oath because you're not giving them, we're taking them by force. The Benjamites did as instructed. They abducted 200 of the dancing girls to be their wives. They went home to their own territory, rebuilt their cities, and settled down. And when the Israelites dispersed from there to the respective tribal clan territories, each went from there to his own property. In those days, Israel had no king. And each man did what was considered to be right in his own eyes. The point is this. If this is what can happen to the chosen people of God who experience the glory of God and the deliverance of God and the Red Sea crossing of God and saw God on the mountain and gave the law and the Shekinah glory is still right there with them and they have priests and prophets. If this can end up happening to them, then it can end up happening to any of God's people in any time period of history. And the last thing you could ever say is that can never happen to us. Because the minute you say that can't happen to me, you are not vigilant to make sure that it doesn't. People who say, oh, nobody will ever break into my house. They don't get security systems. I'll have my job forever. They don't invest. You need to be vigilant to make sure that this doesn't happen to the next generation and the next generation after that. I mean, it's one thing if it happens and you did everything that you're supposed to. It's another thing if it happens and you just went with the flow. Here's what's even more jacked up. What crime did Israel set out to punish at the beginning of this story? The rape of a woman. What did they end up nationally approving of by the end? The rape of 600 women. The very crime that they set out to punish and the stupidity of their own logic they ended up committing that crime to a far greater extent. That's what we end up doing. That's what we end up doing. There are so many things that we hate or we abhor, we judge people for, and we end up doing the same thing or we're doing something similar to it. And we feel justified in judging or condemning or looking down or, or not being with those people and not realizing we're doing the same thing in some way or fashion. Now, this is how the book ends. They had no king and did what was right in their own eyes. The next book, Samuel, technically it's Ruth, but in a narrative kind of sense. Ruth is considered a different category. It's Samuel. And the Israelites are going to say, now we should have a king because everything will be great, right? And you know who ends up being the first king? Saul, a Benjamite from Gibeah, which means he is the son of or the grandson of a man who kidnapped 
a woman by force into marriage and is from Gibeah. And what you're being told is, remember this last story in the book of Judges? That's the first king of Israel. And we'll talk about why when we get to the book of Samuel. So in conclusion, at the beginning of the book of Judges, Israel started off as a faithful nation under the leadership of Joshua and Caleb, two incredibly godly men. And yes, they weren't always obedient, they weren't always perfect, but they overall were incredibly faithful to God and did what he commanded, and they exterminated the Canaanites the way they should. But after the 14 years of Joshua's leadership and he died, the next generation began to take their prosperity in the land of Canaan for granted. They failed to stay dedicated to Yahweh. As the leaders failed to live up to the standard of Joshua and begin to do what was right in their own eyes, so the people also followed that. They began to basically take the blessings for granted. They began to think that they were entitled to this. They, they became spoiled. And this is what the book of Deuteronomy warned. Deuteronomy warned when, you, when you're living in a land that is flowing with milk and honey and has all these things, it's going to be very easy for you to think that you accomplished this. You made this happen. And you're going to fall away from God because you're not going to feel like you really, truly, absolutely need God anymore because the land is so freely giving. And that's what happens. So as they begin to think, hey, this land's awesome, and it made them comfortable, and they were blessed, and, and they were thinking that it was their success and their works that were making them successful, they begin to do things the way that they thought they should be done. They begin to pursue their own desires. And eventually this led them into their own moral autonomy. And they became corrupt. And this is the same thing that we see in America right now. We're so blessed and we have so much at our disposal and so much materialism that it's very easy to think, I don't need God or I'm accomplishing this on our own. And we begin to do things in our own way. With no competent leaders in Israel after a while, there was nobody to point them towards the covenantal God. There was no one to point them towards the moral standard that God had for them and the true source of their blessings. So they began to decline in their morality. They persisted in their idolatry. As Paul Miller observes, when the covenant relationship between God and God's people is neglected, the faculty of moral judgment atrophies. It not only becomes impossible to do right, it becomes impossible to know what is right. And they begin to lose the idea of what is God, who is God, and what does he really expect from us. Thus the people became as pagan and as morally corrupt as the Canaanites around them, from whom they were supposed to be distinct, unique, unlike the Canaanites. Because the chosen holy people of Yahweh did not take the commands of Yahweh seriously, they did not recognize the true source of their blessing, and they, they did not obey without hesitation. They became just like the people who were under the judgment of Yahweh. Judges ends with a sense of hopelessness, that there was no one righteous left in the nation of Israel. This longing for the redemption of Israel, despite its darkness, is hinted at the very repeating phrase, in those days Israel had no king, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. The only hope is in the coming of a Deuteronomic king, the godly king, the king that completely submits himself to the authority of Yahweh, who can lead Israel back to Yahweh, their covenantal God. The book of Ruth will restore the hope that there were faithful people during the days of Judges, 
and ends by preparing the reader for the Davidic line. The book of Samuel will then bring the hope of the Deuteronomic king and the Davidic line. Yahweh, we just thank you so much for who you are. For the amazing God that you are. What is truly amazing about this story is how you are not going to abandon them in the next book. And you're going to choose to step into space, time, and matter. And you're going to raise up people like Samuel to redeem these people. The people who should know better, the people who have become way more evil, way more sinful, technically than the Canaanites, because they knew better. And any human, and we would have every right, and you would have every right according to your covenant to just toss them to the curb and move on. And yet the very next story, you're going to step into their lives and you're going to redeem them. And I pray that we would be able to see this warning in our own culture, in our own lives, and the things that we turn our heads to and think, oh, I can never make a difference there, or, or what can the world can I do? And the question we should be asking is, how does God want to use us? But at the same time, I pray that we'd also be able to see, wow, if you're the kind of God that steps into this culture and this people group, and you're able to redeem them and bring a revival, and you're still willing to use them and pursue them, then how much more will you do the same thing for us? And how much more should we be that to somebody else? Because there are many Benjamites in our culture of America. And the last thing they need is another judgmental Christian. They need a Yahweh, the image of Yahweh, to step in their life and pursue them despite the way they are. I thank you for the amazing God that you are. And I thank you for the lessons of this book. In Jesus' name, amen.